the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Peter's vision from God helped him decide to journey to see Cornelius, even though he was a Gentile. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 25. Once again, that's Acts chapter 10, verse 25. Well, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. Literally, they happened upon each other. As Peter's walking into the home. They bump into each other. And Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, I don't think he worshiped him as a person because he already knew that there was one God and that God only should be worshiped. We know he's a just man. He's a man who's right with God. The word there can also mean to kneel down as an act of reverence. Now, Cornelius being a high-ranking Roman official, his pay was 16 times that of the enlisted soldier. He's a high-ranking Roman official. He knew what it was to be in the presence of a superior and you would kneel down or bow down before them. And that's probably how he thought here. This is the one that angels knew his name. The one that angels told me to send for. He's probably a superior. I should bow down to him. But if you flip the coin, can you think of how difficult that was for Peter? I mean, he's taken in Gentiles as guests. He travels with them for two days. He's in their company. And what's the first thing he sees when he crosses over the threshold into a Gentile home? This guy's bowing down to him. God's command alone must have held Peter to his task. I know there must have been every temptation as one of these guys from Joppa is needling Peter. And he says, Peter, we need to get out of here. <laughs> Look at this mess. He's worshiping you. I kind of wish that we paid more attention to this and maybe not glorified man so much. But you know, God's command alone must have held Peter to his task. And sometimes that's all you'll have. Sometimes that's all you'll have. Obeying God won't be a popular decision. It might even make your skin crawl a bit. It's very likely you'll feel totally out of place and awkward, but that's okay. When we're doing what God's word tells us, we can rest assured we're right where he wants us to be, no matter how uncomfortable we feel. Now, Cornelius, Peter takes him up. It literally means he caused him to stand up. Peter helps him up saying, stand up for I myself also am a man. Not in contrast to a woman, but a man in the sense that I'm just a human being. And thank God Peter made that clear. I'm just a human being. How many times have Christian leaders fallen because they've forgotten they're just men like everyone else? Peter didn't give his title. He didn't say, hi, I'm the apostle Peter, come to speak to you. 
he recognized that he was simply a messenger. A messenger who was loved wonderfully by God and who had a great message, but a messenger nonetheless. The real respect was due to the message. Verse 27, I love this. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He begins to have a conversation with Cornelius. He just starts talking to him. Peter made time to talk with Cornelius, not at Cornelius. He didn't seek to get to the meeting and to get it over with. Hey, you know, I guess I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus and let me skedaddle because I really shouldn't be here. He talks to him. So you're a centurion. Yeah, I'm a centurion. How long you been here? They converse with one another. They just have conversation. Do you make time to talk with people about the Lord? I hate small talk. Just me, okay? I'm kind of a what you see is what you get guy. And so, you know, I figure, you know, if we can't talk about something, then apparently nothing important is going on. So we probably should leave and go do something important. But I've learned sometimes you got to kind of chat somebody up. And the Bible talks about in Proverbs about a wise man being able to draw out of the well that is someone's heart. I've learned that you have to do that. But do we take time to talk with people about the Lord? Have spiritual conversations. Say, I don't know how to have spiritual conversations. I'll teach you, okay? It's real simple, all right? This is the question you ask somebody when you don't know what to say. Hey, what's the Lord been teaching you lately? There's only two ways that question can be answered. Let me tell you, or he hasn't been because I haven't been spending time with him. And either way, you're about to have a spiritual conversation, right? Serious. So you know, if I ever say that to you, it's because I'm tired of the small talk and I want to get down to business. Just teasing. Very often, me and Beverly will sit down and she'll ask me that question. What's the Lord been teaching you? I'll ask her that question. What's the Lord been teaching you? And those turn into those hour and a half conversations of what we've been learning in the word, what God's doing in our hearts, what we've been praying for. You want to talk about intimacy in a marriage? That's intimacy. Having conversations with one another about spiritual things. As they're conversing, they're walking, and finally Peter finds himself with this crowd of people. It says there were many that were come together. I don't know if it's 50, I don't know if it's 100, but this must have been the final kicker for Peter, to see a crowd of Gentiles waiting to spend time with him. If there was a time to turn back and save face, this would be it. But look what Peter says, verse 28. And he said unto them, ye, that's the plural, you all know, see he was from Florida, you all, you all know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation, semicolon, which means and indicates a pause of indefinite time. It's almost like he's sitting there and he's like, you all know this should not happen. I should not be here. You should not be here. And yet here we are. (laughs) You understand the significance of what's going on right now. That it is unlawful. It is forbidden. Now, no Old Testament verse forbade this, but the rabbi's teachings of his day did. You know, it is forbidden for me to associate with you guys. And everyone there understood the significance of his presence. The normal thing to occur at this point would be for Peter to cut out and leave. No one would expect otherwise from how Jews and Gentiles had interacted for centuries. And praise God, Peter stays. Because if Peter didn't stay, then you and I might not be here today. Because the truth is, 
Most of us here this morning are dirty Gentiles. So we are. And yet God has rescued us. And it all started right here. Right here. This would be a mind-blowing revelation to the six Jewish believers that Peter took with him as he says this, but God has showed me. You know this shouldn't have happened, but God has showed me. After the pause, he says this. God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. All those six guys must have been going, what? What? (laughs) Because it ran counter to everything they'd been taught. See, they believe that a Gentile couldn't come to God just as they are without becoming Jewish first. They had to become Jewish first. And here, Peter says, you can come. God has told me that you can come just as you are. And so Peter asks him, verse 29, this is why I took the risk, he says. Therefore, I, say, I came unto you without gainsaying because God taught me this as soon as I was sent for you without objection. For I now I ask, therefore, for what intent have you sent for me? And before we move on to what Cornelius has to say to him, let me ask you a question. What area or is there an area you're objecting to in your life that God has called you to be obedient to him? I know what that's like. I've fought the Lord at times. You can't fight the Lord and win, but I've fought against the Lord, things that he's wanted me to do. What is it that you're objecting to that God has called you to be obedient to him? Because if Peter can obey the Lord without objection in this area, this most sensitive of areas, what's my excuse, right? What's my excuse? Trust the Lord. He loves you and he knows what he's doing. When you read it in his word and you say, but I don't know if I do that. You don't know how my wife or my husband will respond. You don't know. You don't know what my kids will do. You don't know what the boss will say. Trust the Lord. He loves you immensely. The very hairs on your head are numbered. He loves you enough that he spread his hands and he died for you. Surely he wants to take care of you as well, right? You can trust him and you can obey him. Well, Cornelius said, verse 30, four days ago, I was fasting unto this hour. And this reveals to us that Cornelius had been actively seeking God about something in particular. I'll get to that in a moment. God answered, of course, by sending Peter. But Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer or the prayer of you is heard. The specific prayer that you have been praying, your prayer has been heard. We pray about a lot of things, but there's that one thing that you're praying about, that we're praying about, that's on your heart heavier than anything else. What is it? God hears. God hears. So what was on Cornelius's heart? He said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard and your alms are had in remembrance of the sight of God. If we go back over to chapter 10, he tells him there that their lodge is with one Simon a Tanner whose house is by the sea. He shall tell you what you ought to do or what it is necessary, what is lacking, what you still have left to do. Perhaps Cornelius had been there. He said, Lord, I believe in you. But the Jews, they tell me I've got to get circumcised and I've got to do all these things. And and it just doesn't seem like that's what's going to bring me closer to you. What is it that I need to do, Lord? Do I need to get circumcised? Do I need to do this? And the angel comes to him and says, there is something missing, Cornelius. But Peter, he's the one who's going to let you know what it is. 
I believe Cornelius was longing for that depth of relationship with God Almighty that can only come through Jesus. And so, verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, and who, when he comes, he shall speak unto you. Immediately, therefore, I sent unto you, and you have done well that you are come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded you by God. Cornelius says, I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad that you've come and we're all here to hear what it is that God has commanded you to say to us. What teachable attitudes. (laughs) Is that your attitude when you read your Bible or when you come to hear God's word in this building? As you say, Lord, teach me, Lord, speak to me. Listen, I don't have anything to offer you this morning. Nothing, nothing at all. But the Lord himself, the one who speaks by his spirit, he has so much that he wants to say. And he promises that when the word is spoken, that he comes alongside of it and he speaks to our hearts, that he feeds us by his hand as our loving shepherd. Why was Peter here? Because he had a message that all these people needed to hear. What other message could that be but the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth. Peter was used to opening his mouth. He just wasn't always used to saying the right thing. But this time he opens his mouth and he says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Of a truth. I've learned something. I've learned a truth, something that is true that I did not know before. It's always been true, but I didn't understand it. I didn't recognize it until now. Peter's reality has changed, and the ramifications are amazing. He says, I perceive, I have grasped a concept now that God is no respecter of persons. That phrase there, it means to show favoritism, to unjustly treat one person better than another. The Jewish teachers of Peter's day taught that God created the Gentiles to keep hell hot for fuel. That that's why he created them. That Jews couldn't be lost and Gentiles couldn't be saved without becoming Jewish first. That was the understanding. That was the teaching of this day. And yet, Peter declares, it can't be true. God is just. That means he's fair in his treatment of all mankind. No one will be in hell unjustly. It's something that often gets attacked. Well, if God is a God of love, then why is there hell? Why does he send people to hell? There won't be a single person in hell that didn't choose to go there. There won't be a single person there unjustly. In fact, the Bible says, and this is crazy when I think about the reality of it, it says that when those who are condemned to hell, when they stand before the great white throne judgment, it says, we will be next to our Lord saying, just and true are your ways, O God. We will be there standing by his side and saying, God, you have done the right thing. Charles Spurgeon's mother, the great preacher, he said nothing terrified him more than when his mother would pray at the dinner table and say that she would testify against them someday if they never received the Lord because it would be their fault for being in hell. That's a hardcore mama. (laughs) The very thought of his own mother testifying against him before the great white throne judgment burdened his heart. No one will be in hell unjustly. And let the words of Peter forever dispel this notion that God chooses some people for heaven and some people for hell. That is not a loving, just God. 
God justifies all who come to him by faith. Verse 35. But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Isn't that an awesome truth? In every nation, he that fears him. The word there means the one who reverences or worships God. In every nation, the one who worships the one true God. It says, and works righteousness shall be accepted, be pleased and acceptable to him. See, that's the problem. Just to throw this out there, I'm always a little leery or uncomfortable of the phrase accepting Christ. I understand what we're saying when we say it. I say it when I usually give an altar call. But I'm always a little uncomfortable with the thought because the idea is I don't need to accept Christ. He needs to accept me. That's the problem. The problem is, is in my state, apart from him, I'm not acceptable to him. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, separation from God. So I need to be accepted by him. Now, praise God, Jesus died for our sins, paid the penalty. He was the propitiation for God's wrath. And therefore, if I come by faith, God is not angry anymore. He washes away all of my sin and he gives me his righteousness. And I stand clean before him. I am accepted by him. That is our chief need. Now, when we say the phrase, do you accept Christ or have you accepted Christ? What we're saying is, have you done that? So I get that and I understand that. In our culture, that's become a phrase that we use more. And yet, my chief need is to be accepted by him, to be forgiven, to be washed, to be declared righteous. So everyone who worships the one true God, and then it says here, and works righteousness. The word there, works righteousness, means the act of doing what God requires. Now, maybe saying, well, wait a second, Will. I thought we're saved by faith. Well, what does God require? What's the one thing God requires? That all people repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. You can jot these verses down and look them up on your own time later. But in John chapter 6, the Jews asked Jesus this question. They said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Isn't that cool? Drives our reformed brothers crazy. It's not a work. Well, he says here it is. It's the one thing we do, that we do. We believe on him whom he has sent. That's what we do. He does. He opens our eyes. He reveals his gospel to us. And it says that he's drawing all men unto him. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. His cross from that moment, he's drawing all men unto himself. Jesus, who it says in John chapter one, this was that light that lights every man that was coming into the world. Literally in the Greek, it means the moment you're born, he begins working on you. He begins bringing light to your life. There is not a single man on the face of the earth that does not experience some of God's light. What do you do with that light? Do you repent and put your faith in Christ? That's what he requires. That's the one thing he requires us to do, to repent and put our faith in Christ. You know, God told Cain, if you do well, you'll be accepted, right? And we know very clearly, God gave very specific requirements for his people to approach him through the tabernacle of the Old Testament. We look all through there, very specific things they had to do. And God has been very specific today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said. This you must do. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is the one thing you gotta do, the one work. He says, you gotta believe on him whom he sent. 
Does that sound very hard? God couldn't have made it any more simple. Repent and turn to me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved. Anyone, anyone who does that will be received with open arms as a child of God. That's what Peter's saying here. Anyone who does that will receive with open arms as a child of God. And so, what message does Peter have to bring to them? Well, it's that word of Jesus being the way to the Father. And so Peter, in verse 36, he says, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He says, it's about Jesus. You know why I'm here? I'm here to tell you about my best friend, about the guy that I walked with for three years. And every time I stuck my foot in my mouth, he backed me up, he loved me, he forgave me. When I betrayed him, he forgave me and he restored me. And that's why I'm here today to tell you about my best friend, my Jesus. That's the word I have to preach to you today. My savior, that's the one I'm here to tell you about. The word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism with God, which John preached. Words which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace. That you could have a right relationship with God, have peace with God. The word there, peace, it means harmonious relationships. That you could have a harmonious relationship with God, that you would not be against him, that you would not be opposed to him, that you could enter into a relationship with him. And he says, it's through Jesus Christ all which came between us and God and one another can be removed through what Jesus did for us. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 17, those beautiful words that Paul utters, he says that he came and he preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were near for through him both we have access by one spirit unto the father. He has preached to us both who are near and those who are afar off that we can be right with God. Isn't that great news? Isn't that awesome news? (laughs) And then Peter, he just erupts right here and he says, he is Lord of all. Can you imagine? He's standing in this group of Gentiles in a place he should never be. And he's just thinking, God is no respecter of persons. I'm finally grasping it. But in every nation and those that that put their trust in him and those who come by faith, that they can be saved. And let me tell you about my Jesus because he's Lord, not just of the Jews, but he's Lord of every person here. He is Lord of all. Peter is no longer hesitant. The reality of just how great God's love and grace and mercy are has struck him full force and he erupts in praise and he says, Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of all. You can with confidence, absolute confidence, Talk to the people that you work with. Talk to the people that live next to you. Talk to your unsafe family members and tell them that Jesus died for them, that he loves them and he has a plan for their life, that he wants to restore them. He wants to forgive them. He wants to rescue them. You should never, ever be afraid to share that message with anyone because he is Lord of all. (laughs) We're here today because of that. And I'm thankful for it. Thankful so much that somehow... The gospel got to me because it started with this man who came to this understanding that Jesus is the one who wants to rescue everybody. Who has the Lord put in your life? What burning prayer has he laid on your heart recently? 
Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose hope. Be encouraged because God wants to use you just like he used Peter to set you in a place that you thought you'd never be that might even be awkward, might make your skin crawl a little bit to preach this great message that your best friend died for them. Amen. It's not the end of the story. We'll pick that up next week. So you got to come back for the sequel. But in the meantime, may God help us to recognize the love that has come down to us and to share it with others. God help us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with boldness and courage. Lord, I need it. I need it more than I ever have before. I need that boldness and courage that when I go up to Subway and get some subs that I would just love on the guy that's right there and minister your goodness and your gospel to him. Lord, that you are his Lord. You seek in that sense to rescue him, Lord, to pull him from the pit and the mire that he might be in and to forgive his sins and give him your righteousness. God, give me the boldness and the courage. Give us the boldness and the courage we need by your spirit to fulfill this great commission to share your love with all the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's heart isn't just for a select few, but rather for all of humanity to hear, believe, and choose to be saved. As Christians, our heart needs to be the same, going and telling everyone, no matter where they come from, nor who they are. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.